Hi, Yin and Yang uh, podcast listeners. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening to our podcast. And if you're new, welcome. Uh, I just wanted to say a quick reminder, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps us reach new listeners. And also, uh, we have a Patreon page. Yay! And for our Patreon, it's uh, to help support us to continue creating more content and have great, more interesting interviews and guests for you to uh, to listen to. And we have three tiers. The first tier is a quick shout out on our next episode and a uh, access to our Patreon only community. And our second uh, our second tier is for uh, you have access all that first tier stuff and access to our Discord. And our third tier, you get a quick uh, five minute uh, phone call from either Dan or myself, and uh, I'm James, hi. And uh, yeah, I think uh, this is exciting for us to help us, um, you know, help make this more sustainable and have more, uh, create more episodes for uh, y'all to listen to. So thank you so much. Uh, here, let me put up this cool background I had. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> Welcome back to Yin and Young, the podcast. Yay! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> We're here with uh, Paul Hoy, or you, do you also go by a different name, or Paul Hoy is your, your main artist name? Uh, my real name is, is Paul Chan, but I started going by Paul Hoy. Hoy is my middle name, or half my middle name, actually, um, because Paul Chan is actually a very famous art critic. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of hurt my branding just a bit, so I decided to go with Paul Hoy. Um, as a, as kind of a, my, my, my name. Yeah. For cool. my art. Yeah. So, and as you can see behind me, this is, uh, a, a piece that Paul did a few years ago, um, called cloudy. What's it called? Cloudy. I think cloudy mountain or something. Yeah. I don't really have any official name for them. I just kind of, um, give them a number based on the oh, location really? that I'm in. Yeah. I don't. I'm really bad with naming my art. I think I every time I name something, and you know, a day later, I usually regret it. Oh, really? <laughs> well, the the programmer, so yeah. the, whoever saved the file to the web page saved it as Cloudy Coast. So I don't know. Oh, um, I probably thought that was cool at the time when I saved it. <laughs> now it's like number eleven or whatever it is. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like you know those painters. They have untitled twelve. You know, yeah, yeah, that's my jam. That's, that's my your jam. jam. Yeah. No location, nothing, no indicator. And I struggle yeah. to find the right file when someone asks for it. I'm like, wait, yeah. which file is that? I just <laughs> like the one that's uh, the night, the nightline cityscape. Yeah, yeah. If it's a city one, it's probably one of my more recent ones um, uh, that I've made in, in CG, um, likely. Um, but thank you. That's That's kind. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of uh, explorations with CGI and um, cityscapes um, in general. It's it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Cool. Before we get, yeah, sorry, Dan. What are you oh say? no, it was it was just. Uh, I've been searching for like an image to put on this blank wall I have next to me, and uh, you know I've been looking for a cityscape. I I was either I was thinking about buying the one that was for the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where Miles Morales nice. is falling into the New York skyline. 
Oh, that's a good one, yeah. And then I saw yours. Let's go. Oh, yeah, that kind of looks like what I, I kind of want. Boom. I might, yeah. I might put on frame bridge and just like frame it and have it sent out. To my <laughs> okay. So I don't know about you. Uh, sorry, sorry uh, to our listeners. We're just going to go on a tangent right at the start. But I don't, yeah, know, about you guys. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I spend I, like maybe too much time looking for desktop backgrounds for my computer. Hmm. Because for me, it's calming, you know, and you know, for Mac, right, you can do it, it changes every hour if you want, or change every day if you want. So for, for, for me, I have like a folder for each year of like, oh, these were my 2020 backgrounds, which would, I'd have change every day. Huh. And uh, I think, yeah, you, I think you made the cut for 2020, 2021. I'm still looking. oh thanks man yeah yeah i think i I think i might use some of your newer stuff i like the kid i think they're kids in the water um but uh, oh yeah yeah. (laughs) so anyways let's uh let's give some context to our listeners before they get too lost so we are here (laughs) we're here with um artist photographer um you know computer uh graphic artist paul hoy and uh aka paul chan but paul chan you know that guy's too famous so screw him <laughs> yeah addition that name <laughs> we yeah, got the paul famous chan. paul hoy here nah, and, far from it but appreciate you <laughs> yeah. so paul and i met at the apple store uh san francisco on before it was union square it was uh apple apple store what uh powell street or something Powell. yeah oh, i think yeah, you're right yeah. God, <laughs> turn it. And um, yeah. you were a uh, retail specialist, I, or what, what's the word for it? Uh, Translator. Let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. was, I was a technical specialist, or you know, um, you're in a family, family room, right? Family That's room right. specialist. They they change it to technical specialist a couple a year a couple years later, and then, but yeah, I was a family room specialist, basically yeah. uh, working at the Genius Bar. And Paul and I connected, I think, um, because we were always translating. He was doing Cantonese translations, and I was doing uh, a lot of Mandarin translations, you know. And so I think sometimes we, because a lot of, what's interesting is like a lot of Cantonese speakers, they know some Mandarin for the most, I think, depending on what their age group is. If they're a little bit older, it's a little bit, I don't know if that was your experience. So sometimes Paul and I would cross paths because maybe Paul was busy with like two customers because Cantonese is a hot zone in San Francisco, especially that location. Yeah, right next to Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Mandarin, not so much, but like basically I get the, I would get the, like Paul is getting hounded uh, with too many people. Like he'll send them to me. Because generally they'll speak a little Mandarin, maybe I don't know. What was that your experience, Paul, or <laughs> with myself or with the people I work with? With the with the store, yeah, with the people with you the work with. Yeah, yeah. No, they usually I think yeah, older folks usually speak both. But being a little more um, uh, comfortable with Cantonese, I think was mostly the case. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, my Chinese got so much better. <laughs> working that job oh same yeah yeah. oh yeah. my god yeah like i that was like the one of the biggest benefits of working that gig i feel like i could communicate with my parents better because my parents don't speak english and so like my cantonese the only practice i get with that language is when i speak with them mm. um 
And so throughout that job, I explained so much about, you know, as you know, like about how everything works, the history of Wi-Fi, what Wi-Fi is versus cellular connection, all of that. Um, yeah, and in the course of a couple of years, you just get so good at uh, at explaining those things fluidly. Um, right, like, yeah. I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but like Bayfin, I didn't know what Bayfin was until like, that's Mandarin for uh, back backup. And like, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Bayfin. And then there's also, um, yeah, there's a bunch of technical words I had to learn just on, on the job, you know. There's no class for it, you know. <laughs> they just, they're like, oh, you're Asian. You speak a little Mandarin, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, go, 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 go. And <laughs> throw the customers at you because, you know, Asian. Bayfin. Huh. <laughs> That's my cultural word. That's my cultural exchange word, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Call it. Yeah. yeah, you called it. Nice, <laughs> nice. Um, so what was also interesting with talking to Paul is that uh, I think we eventually found out that we're both interested in the arts. Uh, me with film, I was going to uh, City College, uh, uh, Community College uh, of San Francisco for cinema studies. And Paul was already doing photography at the time, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I was going on and off with it, but that was actually the time when I started going pretty heavy into it, um, getting pretty seriously into it, and then going to strange places and figuring it out uh, along the way. Yeah, that was that was right when I started really getting more serious about it. Um, That's it's awesome. something that I that I wanted to get him involved in, um, as far as like either a career or just something that um, I want to do more of in my life. Awesome. Yeah. Very informative period. For sure. So, so leading into that, uh, I think we'd be curious to hear maybe a little bit about your background. So, uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Uh, what got you eventually to San Francisco? And then, you know, kind of like what got you interested in the arts? So, maybe let's start with uh, where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Hong Kong um, until the age of nine. Um, and then my immediate family, um, in pursuit of a better education and future very familiar story, decided to come to the Bay Area. Um, we landed in the Bay Area because we had a, my grandmother uh, was our sponsor. Um, so we decided to come here and settle with her um, specifically in Runner Park. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the North Bay little towns up there, but it's mm -hmm. in Sonoma County, like uh, wine country. Um, and I, yeah, I was there until college, um, and I went to school at UC Davis, where I studied international relations um, and minor <laughs> in art history. Yeah, like, um, oh, double major. I minored in art history, um, and I just landed on on international relations because I, going into college, I was really curious not as as a form of career, but I was like really curious about um, politics and history. Mm. Um, and by my third and fourth year, I was just like, uh, this should probably translate into a degree somehow. International relations just was so encompassing um, with the things I was curious and that I just ended up with that degree. Um, yeah. Had no foresight as far as what I wanted to do other than just experience life as much as possible. And I, I had the chance to study abroad in, in Cuba, which was amazing, actually, in college. That was very uh, enlightening. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I went to school at Davis. Uh, and then after Davis, I went um, I lived back home while I was looking for a job. And I just went through 
Uh, we, we did a big construction for a little while um, with my folks for about a year. Um, we we're part of this like sweat equity program where we worked on building our own house actually along with like our future neighbors for like a year. Um, and then after that, um, I just got like, I got an internship in an art gallery in San Francisco uh, okay. by the Apple store actually on Geary Street. Oh. Absolutely hated it. Everything about it. <laughs> it's like the worst. It's, it's yeah. Um, what was your job exactly? I was an intern in an art gallery. Um, and I'm thankful, I, I gotta say, I'm thankful for the opportunity, you know, for to be there, just to learn that I'd never wanted to do anything with it ever again. <laughs> I think it's just the whole, I think it just became, it was one of the, not my first, but it was like a very um, kind of a shocking experience in terms of like uh, the class differences of like where I came up and, and the kind of people who would go into art galleries and then buying art. Um, it, the whole thing just felt very sterile and everything that I try to get away from by making art in my own time, <laughs> it's almost like the underbelly of everything I love. Um, so I became very disillusioned with it and I just jumped from one odd job to another. I became a dog walker in San Francisco. That was a great <laughs> job. Didn't like, didn't cool. really work out like with, with my situation, but that was great. And, um, I just bounced from doing that. I was like waiting tables um, in various places, uh, work at Whole Foods for a little while. Um, that was not, that was, yeah, that was not a not very good either. Um, but each of those jobs, I learned a lot about, about how people are. Um, and uh, yeah, I became a lot more conscious of, of, of or being forced to be conscious of, of what I, where I want to steer my life really um and then eventually got into the apple gig which was really good because i feel like there was a lot of people there who were creative had a lot of different pursuits outside of, of work um and that was like a really great community in terms of branching with the people and then seeing what people are up to and, and exchanging ideas um so yeah that was that's how i moved around i've been in the bay area pretty much ever since i, I came here when i was when i was nine and I'm in Washington for the last last couple months. So, do you, do you remember Paige? Yeah, Paige. Yeah, yeah. 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 You still keep him because he's doing like YouTube stuff now, like oh, making great. like little fine, like um, braised pork over rice. Yeah, I think I saw that. Um, I think I saw that on his. We're like Facebook friends. Yeah, yeah, I think he like posted it one time, and it looked really good. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think everyone should be, especially at this time. There's not a well, I, I don't want to be overgeneralized, but I feel like depending on your situation, this could be a really good time for people to pursue and invest in and in, in what they want to do, you know? Right. I, I, From hearing your back, I'm curious to circle back maybe to your upbringing in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, you mentioned something about class differences different from how you grew up. Is that, are you talking about like in Hong Kong or like also coming as an immigrant to the U S or all of that? Like when you're working as an intern at the art galleries, I'm kind of curious to circle back to that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I grew up in like a fairly, I would say like lower middle class, um, like background, like my, my folks like did okay. Like my dad, he, um, he ran an air conditioning company in Hong Kong. My mom was a stay-at-home mom in Hong Kong. And when we first came to the States, we 
yeah, it's like the amazing thing. My my dad gave up all of that to for an opportunity to come here. Um, wow. And he worked in like a when we came here. Um, my both my folks they they just they work in a restaurant um, in our neighborhood, um, grocery stores, which is what my dad still does at the moment. Um, and just picking up like side gigs, like you know, as a mechanic based on his skill sets that he picked up in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's my parents have been extremely, they've always been like super resourceful and somehow, some way they've always been able to save money. Um, and they made it a point of telling me to never worry about money. Um, when I was growing up, even though I saw the struggle and I'll, <laughs> there's like these funny <laughs> stories of me, like getting into arguments with my sister about like, we're like, you know, we're struggling. I got to turn off the, turn off the light switches. It's like causing all those electricity pills, you know? Uh, and I remember having these little things and my, I, I remember this incident because my mom, my sister and I share the same room and she's four years older than me and my parents overheard it and they pulled me aside and being like, this is not for you to worry about. Um, oh. And for them, they never, they told me to like, you know, the, the main focus is always like being in school, working hard in school and, and, um, and, and come up that way. Um, and so, you know, we, we struggled, but, you know, we, I know a lot of people who had it much worse than, than I did. Um, but I was, I became conscious of like our, our upbringing, like a, a fairly early age. And when I was working at the gallery, you know, you'd see these pieces that would go for God knows how much, you know, easily in the five figures, you know, for a print and these folks would come in and they would ask about these prints and, so on and so forth. And then they're saying they want to get these art pieces for this new thing you mentioned or whatever project you're doing, like in this part of San Francisco. Um, and it just, it just showed me, like, I, I didn't understand, like, it's hard for me to wrap my head around someone who would expend like that kind of, that, that kind of money to do something like wow. that. Um, so like each painting is like literally like, like a Porsche or like a, uh... Or each print is like a, it's like a really expensive car or more. Or right. It, yeah. 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 It's like things that you would save before for years and years. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, I think that that was part of it that that really put me off. And I think just the whole um, business, the explicit business nature of an art gallery where it's about selling the art as much as possible and looking a certain way to people who come in, these journalists who come in, who write certain things about an art gallery and seeing how just the vibe would shift depending on who's there. It just, it was it's gross, to be uh, honest. I don't think it has anything to do with like the, the gallery itself. I think it's just the nature of, unfortunately, the business of art in general. Um, there's a Hollywood side to it that I just, I, I it's just gross <laughs> for a lack of a better word i just yeah I yeah don't, i don't thrive and um and uh yeah it, it was just it was just it was really enlightening because i realized yeah. that you know it's not nothing i ever <laughs> get involved you, with you kind of pulled back the curtain and you could see oh this is the other side of art you know right yeah. right yeah before that i was just going to art galleries like oh these are cool photographs and paintings and so on and so forth i want to be around it and that was my naive sort of connection but once i got uh, to the belly of the beast i was like nope I'm out <laughs> i'm out hope who's hiring because i'm going there <laughs> i would rather go there i'd rather walk dogs 
<laughs> which was great actually that was a huge upgrade and that sounds like exercise when you get paid for it right uh, yeah yeah i loved it it was uh i i love the dogs I, I didn't love like the situation because it was um yeah without yeah. getting too deep into it it was yeah. just kind of i love being able to like hang out with dogs and i found out how much i love dogs i think through that job um yeah so so what's interesting is like you and dan have a uh, similar uh restaurant background i guess uh parents, oh, parents. Right? yeah I, I think it's it's fairly common for um i don't know why but cantonese or toy science speakers to to come to america did start up a restaurant i think mandarin speakers too if they're more recent immigrants i guess hmm. that's that's just the that's the the that's the specifically the chinese immigrant story dan would you agree or it depends i, I think it depends right because they're i mean back in when I was younger, I remember that Chinese people had, there was a stereotype that Chinese people had laundromats or dry right. cleaners. Right. Not so much rush. I mean, they had restaurants obviously, but the small business owners were the dry cleaners um, more than anything else. I, mm. I think, I mean, yeah. you, there, there was even that old uh, commercial for Calgon and it was like the ancient Chinese secret was like this, this little thing where they, you know, the ancient Chinese secret turned out to be Calgon the soap. That's what made the, the laundry smelt so good or come out so clean. <laughs> it so, is actually that is the ancient Chinese secret as far as <laughs> for all white people listening who are after the ancient Chinese secret. That is a secret. Don't ask us anymore about what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's Calgon. Cal what's, yeah. what's Calgon? Calgon is a soap. It was like a laun a laundry soap. Hmm. And huh. I don't know if you've ever watched Wayne's World, but they they made a spoof on it. Uh, I mean, I have, but it's it's such a long time ago. It's such Calgon. a long time ago, but it's it's something. From, uh, I'm probably about closer to their age than to your age. Mm. So a lot of the commercials that they spoofed in that sh that movie was, you know, something I remember growing up, and mm. Calgon was one of those things. Was it like racially charged joke or? Uh, I mean, like two Wongs make a white. Has, no, 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 <laughs> no. Have you guys seen that I shirt? Seen That's that. so fucked up. But yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot I, about I that. that. But yeah. they basically spoofed the commercial, right? And it was like, oh, ancient Chinese secret, huh? And he pulled out the box of Calgon. Uh, there was a section in Wayne's World where he they're spoofing <laughs> a bunch of commercials like Bayer and some other things. Yeah. Bayer aspirin and stuff. But anyway. Ancient Chinese secret. <laughs> but as far as restaurants concerned, um, I think it's, I don't know if it's necessarily Toysan because my, my family's not Toysan or Cantonese. They speak Cantonese, but they're not from from the southern parts of China. They're from Yang Yang Yangzhou, right? Yangzhou. Yeah, Yangzhou. Yeah. Yang Chao. Yeah. Check them out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, one thing. Uh, so, as far as the interest for art, so hmm. was it just you and your sister growing up uh, from Hong Kong and then going to uh, San Francisco? San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, in my family. Um, I'll have one sibling. It's in my older sister. Um, and I've always liked the arts, like ever since I was a kid. That was the first thing I remember doing and enjoying was like um, just drawing as much as I could as a kid. It was before um, like we had computers and stuff like that. And I just remember spending most of my time just watching like cartoons um playing video games and drawing and replicating the things that i saw that i thought were cool um 
And I think coming to the States and not speaking the language, that became sort of like a, like I think I did more and more of because I felt like it was, it was like a safe space for me to just like, just express myself as much as possible. And also became like a really good way for me to make friends because people would be curious about what I was working on um, and we'll talk and, or I'll try to try to communicate. Um, and uh, it almost became like part of my identity, like coming to the States, like I was a kid, even though I, you know, I'm the Chinese kid, you know, but I, I couldn't speak English, but I also was like the, the classic artist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it helped me navigate these like social situations that were a little precarious <laughs> being the only Chinese uh-huh. kid in class. Um, but it's also the, the one thing I think growing up that I felt confident doing in. Um, I think everything else, like my entire identity felt so challenged, you know, everything that I thought I guess like growing up were cool or are not cool in America. Um, and things that I thought were, you know, one way is it's another way coming to coming to the States. And I feel like my uh my my self-image, I guess, for lack of better word, it's just it, it's all of it just felt very challenging uprooted when I came to the States. But art making, um, I always felt good about doing it. Like even if the drawing is is bad. I know by the time I put it out there that it's bad and no one else can say anything about it. It makes me feel better or worse about it. Um, so, it's, yeah. So even in Hong Kong, before the age of nine, you were already, you are doodling and stuff already. Yeah, I drew a lot of robots. <laughs> a lot of robots. And I drew a lot of insects. It was like a thing of mine. Mm. I still remember this one time. It was so funny. It's actually the first drawing that I remember doing was my sister had these like giant poster boards lying around the house from her science projects or whatever. And I'll grab them and I'll just start doodling in one corner until I cover up the entire page. Mm. And what I like to do is like, I like to take one thing that I like and I'll just draw the same freaking thing over and over and over again until I get good at it on the same page. And at one point I became really fascinated with ants so i live in this in, in hong kong I, I live above a restaurant well no, i don't i don't live up directly above a restaurant but next to a restaurant so it wasn't the most clean, like clean like neighborhood um a lot of cockroaches some some ants roaming around and i always remember seeing like ants at the doorway like outside of my apartment and i'll watch them for like an hour and my mom will come out looking for me be like what the hell are you doing go back in the house i'm like i'm watching where these ants are going and like how they're like fighting like the cockroaches that they're carrying mm. back to you know whatever i became fascinated with it so like and i was just draw what fascinated me and i remember covering this entire poster board with ants left it alone like on the ground and i heard like my mom scream one night like because she <laughs> thought that they were like actual real ants oh um, that's a that's a that's a that's a compliment i guess yes <laughs> i guess it was i mean it wasn't like you know ants are small and i, I drew it to like the scale so it didn't take too much <laughs> didn't take too much but i just i love like the repetitive nature of things and that's still something that uh that i still have in me um for better or for worse because i get addicted to things that are very repetitive um mm. like video games too that's why i don't play any video games uh, but it's like this little engine that just keeps going on its own uh, at a young age um and so yeah that, that was like my first exposure i guess to the art when i came to the states my parents had noticed that that's something that i felt really comfortable and confident doing um and so uh, I took painting lessons with a neighborhood artist with, um, with my sister. 
I didn't enjoy it really, honestly. I didn't like the the structure of someone teaching me how to do something, but I did learn a lot um, over the course of, I guess, like a year. It was like painting um, mostly in watercolors, which I honestly never really got good at. But I learned a lot about like composition, color, you know, perspective, a lot of these formal qualities of what makes like an art look compelling. Um, and uh, yeah, so I did it until like I told my mom's like I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Like I, it's not instructor. It was just like I didn't like the idea of like going through a class my time off. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was like. So I kept doing that, and eventually evolved into photography because photography felt like, um, like a shorthanded way of drawing because you're dealing with composition, you're dealing with light, you're dealing with contrast. And each picture feels like an instant drawing. And it felt really satisfying to just have such quick output rather than having to do, you know, drawing by drawing. Um, and uh, on and off, I, I did it more and more throughout college. But uh, and I did a series after I graduated. But when I started getting serious about it was when I around the time I met you, James, was with the Apple store. Um, I was uh, having a couple of just really challenging years on a personal level um and i uh i moved into like a little studio in chinatown um started working for my landlord as a uh, as a second gig uh, so i can live on my own just to have be in my head for for a little while um and uh right around then was when i started taking pictures a lot and i started seeing these places where landscapes that just blew my mind like just photos that just blew my mind and i'm like i don't know how or where that is i don't know how i'm gonna afford it but this is what i'm gonna start doing um and so in the beginning i started going out to death valley by myself um as a way to sort of like it's like train myself to, to be on my own to, to make art um and i started going there i started going to joshua tree on a regular basis um Eventually, I felt like more comfortable doing it, and um, and I just started saving up to to go on little trips. I ended up going to to Iceland. Um, ended up in Arctic Circle. Um, Damn. Went to like the Atacamas uh, Desert in Patagonia, um, and it just like kind of took off as this thing that became a passion. Um, before it was like really explicit in terms of like what I wanted to do with the trip. It's like. I'll go there. I'll have like these markers on on a map, and these are the places I'll go to, to take particular pictures. I didn't really have any kind of passion for traveling. I wasn't really that curious <laughs> about the traveling part of it. I just wanted to make art. That was like the primary mission of it. But um, you know, like people say, when you go to places, the places really change you. Um, and so it, it just over time, I think traveling and being curious about other places became like a like a passion of its own. Um, and uh, that took on just its own cadence in terms of me going on these trips that um, that are places that, that are maybe not as uh, commonly visited, I guess, maybe by people. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of a long story of, of how I got into photography. And recently that evolved into like CGI and that's a whole other thing. Um, so. So for CGI, are you just painting landscapes? Like I know I we looked at some on Instagram and stuff, but um, what what's 
Uh, is that uh, your your main goal is to, to paint pictures more or less with CGI? For sure. I mean, I think like going from like drawing to like photography, it felt really natural um, because it was just the right medium for the things that I want to express at the time. And I started getting to CGI because in my head, I wanted to create, initially at least, I wanted to create landscapes that I wish existed so I could photograph it. <laughs> um, that was sort of like the drive that I felt going into it. Um, but like most things, once you get into it, it starts evolving and changing. Um, and so my interest and love for like nature and like landscapes um, that evolve into like a pursuit of CGI because I felt like I could draw and create in a, in a way that I wasn't able to in drawing or in, um, or in photography. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it just felt, it, it feels currently, it feels like the correct medium for me to pursue in terms of expressing myself in a way that I want to, but it could change, you know, about getting into like woodworking and building houses down the line because it's more appropriate later. But, you know, right now it feels very, right now it feels like the right uh, way to express myself because it's, it's so, it's such a powerful, insanely quickly evolving tool um, that it's, it's really exciting um, medium to work in. How did you find the, the, how did you find which tools work best for your CGI? I mean, there are so many programs out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, path that one was fortunately pretty simple i just want the cheapest <laughs> meaning <laughs> meaning free blender is free right. um and so i use blender and i'm familiar with photoshop so that was for i think still right now i'd say that's like still my main tool but i'm evolving into um other other software as well i'm learning after effects at the moment and i'm trying to evolve into like houdini um and octane and these various rendering engines yeah, it's a, it's a rabbit hole for sure. And every two years, something new comes out. And, you know, the thing that doesn't change is your sense of you know design and your your sensibility. Um, so, yeah, it's just a matter of uh, evolving and pushing forward. So, yeah, I just, I, I my background is that this is a newer piece, I'm assuming, uh, with CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was done, ooh, like two months ago, maybe. Um, so yeah, so just for some background, I create one piece every single week um, as a way for me to, to get better and also as a way for me to just document my growth. Um, and I'm about to hit two years. Um, wow. And it's just been a, like, this amazing journey of, of growth and, and learning. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to kind of see how things kind of go and, and where my interest goes in the last, in the last two years since I've been doing it. Mm. so and what's long, the story yeah oh, sorry, how long did ahead. it take to to make one of those pieces if you is it, does it take the whole week uh no it did when i first started i'll like <laughs> stress start stressing out like on tuesdays like i don't think this whole week but i think as you start doing it like anything once you get faster and faster you learn shortcuts you used to you know i used to create everything from like the ground up but now i like you know take liberties with like leveraging stuff i've made before and i'll change it um, but right now I can comfortably make a piece in like a day. Um, but I think the hardest part is not outputting it. The hardest part is not like the creation part of, it. I think the hardest part of most time comes consuming part is, is, um, 
the exploration in the beginning, because I, a lot of times I don't know what I'm going to make when I sit down, but I know something's going to be due by Sunday night. So I just start playing around with different shapes, different ideas, pull down different references. Um, I just start messing around. Um, and uh, something usually emerges within first uh, first couple hours. Then I just go for it. Um, but that's usually usually the most time consuming part because I just I'm just meandering like through whatever looks cool until something makes sense and it sticks. So it yeah. seems like when I when I first met you and I started following you on Instagram, I was one of the first followers. Okay, I was I was one of those <laughs> 200 followers. Now now he's up True. in the eight thousand. Like oh man, uh, you know yeah. well, he's. he's <laughs> he's, he's on his way to that blue check so uh god yeah um, <laughs> we'll see but uh so what i noticed is that earlier on is yeah i think kind of just listening to your story it, your art follows that journey of your own personal journey of like f- first falling in love with uh landscapes and travel let me put up the other one so like something like this is one of your earlier pieces um I'm, I'm kind of very i'm kind of curious as as an artist myself uh in, in a different medium but I, i'm curious to hear how, basically is this a trajectory that just naturally evolves for you do you find that is there maybe a life event that maybe switches you from oh you know what i want to do more i saw one comment like cyberpunk you know <laughs> or or because like um, when I first saw these landscapes, I was just like, "Wait, does this place really exist?" Because this is like, cra- this is crazy looking. And then I realized, "Oh, you're you're doing some altering, yeah." But it is very. It's like um, I I kind of when you said you wanted to make landscapes of places that you wish existed, I I I think it's similar to what artists do with stories. You know, they they want to tell stories about people that they wish they saw growing up or some or, or mm. stories that they wish they heard you know mm. um for for me at least that's that's why i'm i'm passionate about like asian american stories because i wish like oh i wish i saw that coming up you mm. know um so i'm, I'm kind of curious about your inspirations and and do you and, and if there's any sort of conscious effort to evolve or just whatever yeah no, I appreciate that. And that's, that's a that, really that question. Yeah. <laughs> no, it does. It hundred percent does. And I appreciate like uh, you relating um, to, to your own background. It's fine. I want to hear more about that too. Um, mm. But for myself, I, I don't, I think going into each, at least going back to photography, I would maybe shoot like People have, you know, some people like to go by the idea of like shooting every single day and that's how you get better. For me, that was never, ever the case. I only pick up the camera when I felt excited about something that I wanted to experiment with. Um, and I think that's the driving sort of a idea for all of my pieces. It's that like I want to take an idea and experiment with it um, and letting it grow in its own way, even if it goes off course from what I initially imagined it to be like the first photo series I did was like, I did like constructive photography of like, um, almost like a surrealistic documentation of run a park where I grew up. Um, and it was like constructive photography around just my house and I'll like stick flowers and just different strange places that maybe you wouldn't see flowers in. Um, and I'll edit out every single little um, flaw that I would see, like that you would see in real life to the point where it feels completely sanitized. <laughs> and then I evolve into like, you know, 
started playing with Polaroid photography because I was fascinated with the idea of taking a film that by the logic of the marketplace, it's, it's worthless. And, and, and uh, I shouldn't word it that way because they can worth a lot of money these days. Because <laughs> but like by the logic of like its existence, it's expired film, it's not supposed to really work. But by its own virtue of being expired, expired, it gives a particular look that you can't get like anywhere else. And so that's what I did with, um, but when I went to Iceland, I, I took this like Polaroid camera with me. And that was like, you know, on the way back from, from uh, Death Valley right there to shot behind you. Um, and I love how, how it makes things look like from a different era, whether it's from the past or the future, you know, almost feels like an artifact from the past or something. And I love that. I love being able to like take different things and then just going off course and experimenting and going a little crazy with it. And with, uh, New Zealand, the picture that you had with like the the red mountains or whatever, that was taken with a modified camera that's able to pick up um, infrared light, uh, which is a spectrum of light that the human eye can't can't see. Um, and I was fascinated with this idea that you know there is a part of um, the wavelength around you um, that's not immediately visible to us, even though it's there. And I feel like that was like a really interesting way to see things for the first time um, uh, in a new way. Um, so yeah, each of these projects is have, they, they look almost completely different. And then people have told me it's like bad for my brand or whatever, but people haven't said that to me, but I've talked to people about it and people like to be consistent with the work because it helps build up their brand. But my own, philosophy is like, I'm not really driven by brand building. I think the most important thing for me is to be able to always grow and experiment and be a little weird, you know, Um, be a little strange and it's going off course. And I think that's what keeps me interested in in doing anything that I do. Like if you scroll down, just like my Instagram of like the CGI pieces week from week to week, I, I might have like meandering interest, but they are almost like they're dramatically different depending on what my, what I want to experiment that week. And I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, just cause it's, it's, uh, it's how I like to grow, uh, is to be able to experiment and, and, and get weird. <laughs> what's up with these, what's up these circle and spheres. You're like all about this. The circle keeps popping up in your work. Well, like on a formal level, I think it's like a really easy, that's just like unsexy answer. I have a sexy answer, an unsexy answer, but unsexy and probably the more realistic. No, no, no. It's uh, (laughs) the more realistic unsexy answer um, without the, yeah, it's it's that like circle. Check out the sexy sphere here. Sexy sphere. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's uh, primitive shapes are really easy way to tie composition together. That's like a formal function of something like that. But I do think that um, there's like a sense of um, origin with the idea of a sphere um, that kind of takes a piece out of its own time that I really enjoy. Um, Mm. So, but you know, I like to, I don't really go in there with like sort of an intention of like what I want, like the the viewer to see, like, this is what they should get out of it. I, I like to facilitate like almost like a scenery or, or an idea for them to explore in their own psyche um, and then and, and explore it their own way. But mm-hmm. that's where I'm, that's where I'm coming from. I, I think it's like this 
this primitive shape that for one is formally very strong, but also I think there's this idea of an origin um, of something that, that, that disorients the viewer from, from uh, what the scene could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Dan, any thoughts? Like, uh, cause I know you're, you're, you enjoy looking, you enjoy, do you enjoy looking at art or going to museums and stuff? We do not go to art museums too often. Mm. Oh, yeah. this is the landscape that you were talking about. That yeah, part. yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, one thing I was th- thinking about is it's interesting because there's a feeling. So, uh, so your desert futures and Paul underscore Hoy on Instagram, you can check him out. There's a feeling of just looking through your Instagram over the years, there's a beauty. There's also this feeling of desolation and and loneliness. And this is me psychoanalyzing you, but (laughs) (laughs) but like, is it something similar to you as an immigrant kid coming here, not speaking the language? And then I'm sure, I mean, let's be real, like, uh, like, the the kids that couldn't speak the language in the U.S. they get picked on the most, like from mm. from Asian Americans, from the whites, from the blacks. First of all, for speaking as an Asian American, I hate to say it, but as a young Asian American, we're like the last thing we want to be considered was a fob, right? Or fresh. Right. So, like, I I, I wonder, does, does your background play into your art at all, or am I reading too much into it? <laughs> no, no, I think I think that's a that's a really valid. Um, analysis. I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, there, there's a lot of things I can say about that. It's almost like, it's almost hard for me to answer because I, I would have to imagine what I would, what kind of art I would make if I didn't have my background, which is impossible for me to do. Yeah. But, um, looking at myself and, and sort of how I navigated um, my situation, I do remember a particular time, like, coming to the States, it was a deliberate decision to be like, I'm going to get comfortable doing things by myself. Mm. Like, so that I don't have to rely on people to, to like join me in, in things that I was interested in. Um, and I, that, that like became more crystallized. I got, I mean, at the beginning, I think that was a self, like, like a defense mechanism. And I think, but as I got older, like in my twenties, when I was like going on these trips and I was like isolating myself, that almost like, became a thing that I, that I wanted to um, cultivate in a way for me to, to express myself the way that I want to. Um, and yeah, all of my art, I've never been like, uh, I never saw a collaboration with people. Um, not that I'm against it, but like it, I've, I've always like made art on my own. I've always like when I do photo trips, if I'm serious about the work I'm making, I'm always doing it by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and CGI is like a very lonely path for the most part, um, mm. cause you're just staring at a computer <laughs> pressing buttons most of the time. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I think so. I think like a big like journey that I, that I try to go through with my artists, try to navigate like the exploration of consciousness, you know, but also, um, an external sense, like what it means to belong somewhere, um, and then what it means to have a home, 
um, and what that means for an immigrant, you know, like having moved around a lot as a kid, like even coming to the Bay, uh, like every other year, my folks and I would move to a different like complex, even in the same neighborhood, because they have a slightly lower rent. And so my parents <laughs> moved here, save a couple hundred, moved over here, like save another couple hundred. Um, and so it always felt like we were physically moving around. Um, and I never knew like what it meant to have like like a, a like an interior space that's like this is where I'm going to stay for a long time. Mm. Um, the current apartment that I stayed in in Chinatown that I talked to you about when I moved in by myself, that is like the longest I've ever stayed since I come came to the states. It's, I've been there for like mm. seven years. I still kept it being up here, um, and I spent so much time kind of like making it nice. Like I I, I sand it down the walls. Like I work for my landlord and I. I worked for my landlord, so he trusted me to like make these modifications. I did like the flooring for it. I installed a cabinet. <laughs> I painted the walls. And, and my landlord's like, what the hell is this kid doing? And like in my head, I'm like, this is my home and I'm going to make it beautiful because it's the first time that I feel like I can have a space that I can call my, my own. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, not, not to get too off off topic from, from, from your question, but I feel like that's another theme of my work that I like to explore is it's space in general um, and architecture, because I think architecture is a study of space and your relationship with it. Um, and so a lot of my work that I like to explore, whether it's with architecture or interior space, I, I really like to dive into um, interior design um, and uh, surrealistic spaces. Um, but yeah, no, like trying to like analyze myself and my background, trying to take myself out of my own head, I, I think those could be some of the the roots um, that that motivate me um, subconsciously in the work. I don't try to explicitly try to do that, but I think inevitably it comes out. Um, people always tell me my work is like sad. I'm like, it doesn't feel sad. It's just just my it's reality of like how I, you know how how things have been and how they are. And I don't feel bad about it. It's just how it is. Yeah. So. And as someone who nests, I mean, because Dan's an, uh, has kids and he's been nesting at that house for a while. <laughs> did, did, did anything uh, Paul said, did you connect with that or? I mean, it's a little bit, I don't know. I, I, I moved around a lot growing up. So I kind of understand that feeling of like, when you watch movies, everyone like grows up in one house. Oh, always yeah. one house. Yes. But yeah, that yeah. was never my experience. Right. So I don't have a childhood home that I go, oh, yeah, that was like the place. But now that I have my own place, I kind of don't want to leave. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I feel that for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those like watching those sketch shows. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like it's the whole season. They're in the same house and they're like, yeah, they grow up in the same house to come home and kind of baseball games or whatever. And it's just like, no, nope, that's not. Yeah, because it's like, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like your pictures have a nostalgia for a place that doesn't exist, right? So it's kind of like nostalgia for a home that you never really, because like when I watch those shows, I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel nostalgic. When it, like you don't even, they don't even have to speak. You just show the set. And you, oh, there's the staircase. That's where it's positioned. Like family matters, you know, the couches are there. And you're like, oh, oh, I feel right at home. So I had a childhood, like me personally, I had a childhood home until like, uh, uh, like middle school, starting up high school. And then my dad, <laughs> sorry, dad, throw you under the bus, but he lost a lot of money on the stock market and we mm. had to sell it. Mm. So, 
And then what happened was like, oh, now, okay. And then I went to this other home. I guess I was there as an infant before, but uh, but I don't have any memories of it. So, and then I mm. built memory. Now I'm at, I'm at that home now, but it's mm. very interesting. It's because like, I still, whenever I come back to Mopedis, because my childhood home is not too far away, I make it a point to like drive past it. Cause I don't know, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. Like, so Dan, I think Dan, for your case, I think um, your kids probably appreciate having a childhood home, yeah. Or, or actually, they also have the San Diego place. I, I mean, it's kind of complicated for them, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we stayed in San Diego for two years, and then they mm. they talked about it because they had a pool. But I think uh, <laughs> with the pandemic, they I think they realized that they have a backyard that they can run around and, and play around. Especially since one of my uncles bought them a a gigantic fourteen foot diameter. Uh, trampoline that takes oh, a gigantic part of our backyard so damn it's badass yeah it's gigantic so as we're wrapping up as we're getting close to oh wow hours, yeah i i did want to circle back to maybe uh so as far as artists uh i guess are you the only creative in your family you sound like your sister dabbled in it too or yeah yeah uh my sister dabbled in it she didn't i mean now she makes like uh, she makes jewelry and stuff like that. But growing up, it's funny because she was always like the better artist. Like she would understand things, understand light, understand line work, like and color, like way faster than I ever did. But the thing with me that going back to the drawing ends thing that I realized I was really good at, I was like I was really good at staying with something in terms of uh, like a composition that takes a lot of lines. I would do it for like hours and hours and hours. Whereas my sister would like create something that's beautiful, but like she would get bored with it, like within like 30 minutes. Um, but no, to your, to your question, my, my sister is an artist at heart and she is always creating, but not necessarily with a drawing or, or painting. And it sounds like your parents, uh, you know, contrary to what people might think of, you know, Asian parents, but it seems like they're fairly supportive. Yeah. They, they are amazing. They are amazing. I think growing up, um, they were always very practical people. I also, I love playing music growing up. That was what I wanted to do in high school. I played bass and I played obsessively um, and they encouraged me in that regard as well. Um, but I think in the back of their heads, they're very, you know, from their background and perspective, they're very practical people. And to them, it's eventually it's, I'm going to find a way to, make a living, whether in art or not. Um, and so right now I work as like a producer um, in the photo world and, and they're really, really happy about that. Um, but uh, I think they were worried <laughs> when I was like growing up and I was just like spending all my time doing doing drawings and then so on and so forth. And then back of their heads, they told me, you know, they're, they're, he's gonna come around and then do something <laughs> else or, or either make this work. Cause when they think of artists, they just think of like caricature artists, like in the streets who are like, you know, <laughs> nothing wrong with that either. Nothing but it's wrong just, with that, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's not what they wanted me to do. Um, so yeah, but they've always been amazing. They've always been incredible about, about um, supporting me and doing what I want to do. And um I, I feel very, very, very lucky in that regard, um, especially knowing the pressure they had in, on their minds. I don't know if it reflects you guys' backgrounds, but like when they, my folks left uh, Hong Kong, there was a lot of um, 
there was a bit of a backlash, like within the family of being like, why are you leaving like your home, like Hong Kong to go to the white man's land, essentially, you know, there's right. a sense of like racial betrayal or something like that. And so uh. my parents never lashed back. They, they were just, you know, they took it in stride, but I think, you know, they felt pressure to almost like prove to other people that, you know, like my kids are going to make it, you know, here. And this is the reason why we came here. But never once did they translate that pressure onto me. I know they felt it, but it never put onto me. It's like, we have something to prove. You have to do so-and-so. You have to go to like these schools. You have to go to a lawyer, be a lawyer, an engineer. Like they never set a path out for me. Um, they were always encouraging in terms of um, doing what you love and go as hard as you can doing that thing. Mm. Um, and so I think that's really, really, really important um, for, for people to, to cultivate um, either amongst themselves or, or, or with their kids um, in general. Yeah, I think for me, uh, I, my dad was the first in his family to come to the U.S. Mm. And then from there, uh, his younger cousins, his younger brother, they, they, they made their way out here. But I think there is that, that allure of the American dream, chasing the American right. dream. And I think it's, it was sold through, you know, uh, American soft power at the time through film and, and politics. And like America is this, uh, Tantang is this heaven. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, you come here and realize, well, it's not, it's, there's a lot of like, you know, like my dad came across some like, you know, uh, race, racism, because he, he, he didn't speak English well and stuff like that, but eventually, you know, he did well. I think we're the first generation to do worse than our parents, I think. Cause like he was able to buy like a house, you know, like I think the rates were better and like, like you could, you could work like just an okay job and afford a house. Whereas now to buy a house, like, Oh, well in San Francisco, forget about it. Right. Yeah, forget about it. Forget yeah. About it. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think there was a little pressure just either he was okay about like not being too, pressured onto me but i felt it you know and then yeah, well, yeah. and then one time it, it, one time it came i was like james are you have you thought about being a doctor you know <laughs> like and, uh, there's always that conversation there's always they, that conversation yeah, they, yeah. they wanted me to be a pharmacist i was like quiet i was like drawing quietly in my room and say like, i just want to be left and i just want to draw yeah and i remember just like them coming in it's like oh you like to just be left alone and do your work you'll make a great pharmacist i'm like <laughs> how did that I'm drawing strong robots and how are you telling me to like make medicine on the other side? But yeah, there's always that, right, I think, right. but they, they were always super, you know, super supportive in that regard. They would like suggest things to me. And I think, you know, they were, if anything, just trying to protect myself from what they feared growing up, right. uh, which is insecurity and material precarity, you know? Um, but no, they were always super, super, super supportive. And I cannot thank them for the rest of my life enough for, for what they instilled. I mean, in that regard. So, yeah. Dan, how about for yourself? Um, we didn't have that sort of stigma because when my dad immigrated here, his whole family did his parents, mm. his brothers, they all immigrated all at the same time. So oh, wow. there, yeah, there wasn't that stigma. Yeah. How big was your family who, who moved out here? Yeah. Um, my dad had five siblings, so he had oh, wow. and four brothers, and they all moved all at once. And That's then, what's up? Yeah, and only one one brother or one one of my uncles he he actually immigrated to to Germany. Ah, oh. whoa, yeah. 
It's cool. And that, wait, so, then, so that collective started the Yang Chao restaurant. Yeah, that collective started Yang Chao. Oh, that's cool. Yang Chao restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Chinatown, uh, Los Angeles. If you ever make it out there. Oh wow! Hell yeah! <laughs> My sister's in Pasadena. Oh, okay. Next time I. We have a location in Pasadena. <laughs> no way. Send yeah. it to me. I'll go there next time. I'm down there. When this whole craziness <laughs> passes. Yeah. Get, their, get their shrimp. Their, their shrimp is... is the shrimp? Is, yeah, the yeah, slippery yeah. shrimp. <laughs> slippery shrimp, yeah. Hell yeah. So uh, I do want to... One thing that I had mentioned in like our like the pre-interview questions was talking about um, Asian, Asian-ness. And Asian, recently there have been a slew of Asian crimes. Mm. Uh, in Portland, uh, there was like windows that have been smashed. I saw on your story you mentioned. In Oakland, I'm back in the Bay Area right now. Mm. In Oakland, there were three attacks and one guy was like a 91-year-old man thrown to the ground. And then um, yeah, and there was poor Vika, the Thai man who was murdered. So I remember speaking to you at the Apple store. I think we touched on it a little bit, but it was kind of like, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's kind of like a code that I think like Asians have that it's kind of unspoken is that I, I like you and I are doing a lot of trans. We're basically working harder than our white counterparts. Let's just be real. Right. It, we're doing the same job, but we also have to do the translation and then, you know, and, and which is, you know, for me at least, is not my first language. So, um, and yeah, there, just there seems to be like, I don't know if you ever felt this. There seems to be different standards for us, like for different races you know, mm. in, in tech or something. Or like, I'm pretty surprised that I got that far into Apple and and was there for that long because I'm not really a techie person. I'm not that good, and I wonder sometimes. Is it because I'm Asian that I got away with like, I I went away, I, I did the bare minimum like 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 okay back up your <laughs> back up your stuff, uh what else do I need to know oh yeah um the basic troubleshooting you know like oh dude I yeah, yeah. no I, I didn't even know how to use like an iPad when I started the job like they I don't know if you went through this during the interview process but they passed around the iPad like to answer to to get like a different question for each person yeah, yeah. and it got to me I'm like. I pressed the home button because that's the only button I saw. Go back, got back to the home screen. I was like, I don't know how to get back to the question. Someone else helped me next to me. I'm like, I'm not getting wow. job. Like I wasn't <laughs> even, I didn't have like a, an Apple product at home that I've used. Like when I signed the job, the only reason why they hired me is because they, I, they knew I could do translations. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Which was not compensated for, by the way, like for anyone listening. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, No, but I think, you know, um, I think people find ways without naming names, but like for, for I know, I, I'll say I have some like workplace allies who I've talked to this about uh, when I was there. And I think people find ways that, let's say make it fair in light of what you said, James. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I'm not, not to throw them under the bus. I had a, you know, there was really good people at Apple. I, I, no, I, no, 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 not yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, I think it's people are always going to do um, what they need to do in order to uh, in order to stay sane at a job. You know, and I, I think people people will take measures that will make it feel more fair for themselves um, based on um, the way they're treated, based on the labor is like distributed. 
amongst mm. the amongst the employees. Um, and I know that people find ways to make it fair. Yeah. Um, but that that's not at all to discount what you're saying about, you know, um, that it, sometimes it feels like you are uh, maybe being tokenized um, in a way that you, you work. Um, but I think people are creative and people are resourceful. Um, sometimes people seek revenge, <laughs> but, uh, I think, I think people find ways to make things fair. Right. So one thing, I don't know if you notice this in, in film or in art, but, um, there's this thing of like, oh, I want you to consider me as just an artist, not as an Asian or Asian American artist, just, you know, look at my work or whatever. Mm. And I, I find that very curious because then I think the underlying, assumption is that oh i just want i want people to see me as like a white artist you know like because they don't mm. have to deal with that ethnic baggage you know uh, identity baggage um i i'm kind of curious to hear because i i don't think for, from what you post and from you know the conversations we've had online sometimes i'll post something that i guess some people consider it edgy but basically just saying don't be racist to asians you know <laughs> like something people like that are, yeah 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 and then like um you know people are, and then like sometimes i get comments and you know so maybe from sometimes it's usually a white person's like well i didn't really see it that way and then like i remember one comment like you backed me up on something it was like a while ago it's like no mm. no i i get james i get what you're saying you know so i'm 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 curious to like hear as like a, fir- a literally a first generation immigrant you know like uh how has your experience been in the U.S. and how has that affected like how you navigate this world, either it be personal life or the, you know, your work life professionally or your art life, like, or, or you know, like race and stuff like that. Because, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those, those are great questions. It's a big question, but I, I think it's, um, I kind of want to tie it back to what you were what, what you were mentioning about the recent attacks on Asians. And it's something that I, I've been speaking to um, my girlfriend about actually. Um, and I think just the fact that like people are not like, you know, within Chinatown, um, when people are attacked, the reason why they haven't gone out for help or seek out help, people, you know, come at it at different angles is the reason why, but the reason is the historical reason is that we haven't gotten help in the past. The entire ethos of like Chinatown is the fact that we haven't gotten help from any external sources. So we formed our own community in order to support each other. That's like the ethos and like behind Chinatown to begin with. And I feel like my own personal experience has led me to think that I don't think I can, the reason why I pursue things on a solitary level, um, is I feel like from an early age um, of being in the States that I learned you can't rely on external source to back you up. If you get external help from other people, all the better. But first thing that comes to mind is that you have to be able to defend yourself. Mm. You have to be able to take care of yourself. You have to prop yourself up in a way that wouldn't make you vulnerable. to the lack of an external support. Mm. Um, you know, like, and no one obviously lives in a vacuum in terms of, you know, living in your own like world and everyone is like connected to each other materially or otherwise. And, and 
the marketplace and so on and so forth. But I feel like the entire ethos like behind Chinatown is self-reliance. And that's what we that's that's why people haven't like asked for help. People haven't like gone to the cops often, you know, for, for situations like this. Because we've learned to not rely on that. I'm not endorsing it to be the right way to go about this or the wrong way to go about it. I'm just saying like this is the historical reality of like how people feel in Chinatown. You go to the cops, what are they gonna do? They come here, they don't speak the fucking language, they come here asking you what's wrong, what's the wrong, what's wrong with this, what's wrong with that, write some documents down. You go to like the white media, they just, you know, it, it doesn't really matter that much. It doesn't fit neatly into any sort of established narrative about how Asians are in America. They cherry pick certain statistics to paint us in a certain way to say that we're doing well. Um, so the historical reality has led us to think that we have to be self-reliant. Um, mm. And that is the ethos of Chinatown. That's how it came about to begin with. Because these labor forces couldn't get jobs anywhere else. Mm. we had to take care of each other as a result of that. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the painful part about these folks who, who have been attacked is that like they've abandoned everything to come here and they end up in Chinatown because there is some semblance of like what things are like back home or how things used to be. Um, and uh, to, to go there for a sense of safety, for a sense of like, self you know um for for a community and and to end up that way is just it's it's yeah it's despicable it's yeah. just, it's horrible um uh, yeah i think yeah. a lot of people there's what i find so ironic is or kind of fucked up is that oh it's chinatown like that movie right chinatown there's like oh fucked up shit happens in chinatown that's to be expected or oh chinatown yeah. it's seedy but you know what people don't understand is like no those those fuckers had no chinatown was made because of racist policies in the u.s there were the one the, the great the biggest lynchings in the u.s was uh, it was chinese people who were lynched by a white mob you know and like oh what do you fuck do you think what do you expect them to do? They gotta group together, they they gotta they gotta group together and make their own settlements and fight against, you know, basically attackers. And yeah. And also because housing policy at the time is like they're are oh, they're gonna get a loan for like a you know, place in this neighborhood. No, they, they're all, you know, pushed into like these, you know, shitty neighborhoods. And then so it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, so a lot of people, oh, they blame Chinese people for, oh, oh, Chinatown's like that because, you know, Chinatown is this certain way, but, you know, it's, there's a lot of misconceptions about Chinatown, and it has, a, a, to this day, unfortunately, has, like, a negative connotation, which is, mm. like, it's, like, bullshit, yeah, yeah. Dan, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how do you feel about that? Or, um, I mean, because you're in Chinatown, or your, your, your family started in Chinatown, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a little bit different in, in um in LA, I think. Um I'm sure like the, the start of it was like that, but we weren't I, I think based on ge geography, there were lots of more opportunity to, to migrate out, right? To establish other communities. But again, it, it, I'm sure the ethos or the, the or origin of all the Chinese communities are all the same, right? All the ethnic communities all around the world are probably, probably the, the the start of it is all the same. I mean, you, 
you can go to China, Chinatown in Japan. And I'm sure they started that way because they faced a lot of racism there. And probably the same thing with Singapore, right? Those are like the two of the largest Chinatowns in the world. And it's kind of weird to think that there's going to be a Chinatown in Singapore, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's just the, the fact of the matter. It's just the way it is. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, we were hitting at like the one fifteen mark. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So, I think, uh, yeah, that might be a whole nother podcast. Like the the race stuff. I I do want to dig into that deeper, but like, yeah, yeah. I I think, um, because I I know for me at least. Yeah, I didn't really have this kind of ethnic, you know, awakening or whatever until maybe college when I came. I came from a majority Asian background in the Bay Area, in the South Bay. But then in college, there was still a lot of Asians, but there was, you know, a lot of white people too. And it changed. And like just having a larger white population, you could already feel the racial dynamics shift at college, you know? Right. And specifically for me dating, you know, <laughs> like you're like, yeah, like, for sure. Asian, Asian chicks like digging white guys more than Asian guys, you know, that's mm. like the theme that I've come across before. Mm. And that's kind of shifting and that changes. And that's a whole conversation. But um, mm. Mm. I, I, before we end, I do want to hear about, yeah, your experience as a first generation immigrant, like, adjusting and and did you face racism and it seems yeah. like instead of instead of be, some people they like become super like oh i'm gonna be speak perfect english become very sociable and be you know yeah. uh, you've seen that right yeah like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but it seems I, like you've turned inwards huh uh i mean i am i was not above any of those insecurities your earlier comment about like initial feeling of like not wanting to be associated with fobs or whatever i felt that like i didn't want to be seen when i first came to the states i didn't want to be seen with other like asian kids oh like it was that like it was it was like a really white neighborhood and there were like you know some asians who weren't even chinese who didn't even speak my language but like i didn't want to group with them because i didn't want to be seen as like like a Chinese kid as my identity almost. Um, and like the whole thing about wanting to speak the perfect, like, you know, perfect English. That was a huge thing. I didn't speak, like I didn't speak out loud for like years. Like wow. uh, when I first came to the city, cause I was so self-conscious about, about my language um, abilities. And it's um, yeah. I just remember like, you know, I would be in school and I mispronounced something or someone called me on it. I was just like, I remember walking home because I lived like 15 minutes away from home and walking home, I would just like practice pronouncing the word over and over again to myself until I get it right. And uh, <laughs> like when I got a computer, that was like sort of a, like a really great space for me to, to, to learn the language um, because I could check my spelling before I sent anything out, like over mm. AIM or something, chatting with people. Yeah. And so yeah. I could like double check. And so I got really, I got, I became like a fairly good um, speller uh, through that um, fairly quickly. Um, but no, I, I, I know what you mean in terms of like, almost like the self, like shaming when you first come here, this feeling of like wanting to reject your identity 
and like wanting to fit in, whether it's like through the correct, correct, like consumption patterns of like listening to the right band, doing your right. hair a certain way, wearing the right clothes, speaking a certain way, picking up the slangs, having a particular like flavor of humor, flavor of humor. Um, I think all of those things are like, it's really, really common. And the whole thing with dating. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I think for me, like the thing that was sort of a trigger in my head was I, because I didn't have any Asian friends growing up until I went to college, I didn't identify those things as racial. Um, like every time I felt, unless I was, you know, being called a certain name that I would know at the moment. But a lot of times when I felt like people were looking at me a certain way. I felt excluded and I mm. felt just slighted. I felt just didn't feel right. Um, I couldn't put my finger on it until I made a lot of Asian friends in college. And they started telling me about these things they're dealing with. I'm like, oh shit, like that's, that's what it is. And I started connecting the dots there. Um, but no, it was, it was this thing that just eluded me for a long time until I could talk to somebody about it and, and put a finger on it. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of racism, in terms of like feeling all the things you mentioned, I've, I've, I feel like I've experienced like some degree of that um, in one capacity or another. Um, yeah. And, and you, you put up different walls and then you learn to process it um, as you get older. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were able to channel to some positive growth. And, and for me, that, that's meant um, self-improvement and then mainly by through the means of uh, art making mm. um and talking to folks like yourself and 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 dan about this so well i'm glad yeah, yeah. It, can i ask a personal question like uh of course. Yeah, yeah of course is is your girlfriend asian does she understand the asian american experience or she is white okay she is white um i uh i've talked to her a lot about it she's actually from the south um oh well <laughs> way different she's actually in the room um yeah. <laughs> she, she went to school and she went to school uh in uh, louisiana and so she's from from that area um virginia louisiana um and for her I, I think she's experienced like a similar mode of like what um the belonging of asians are like from from a lot of the maybe the more mainstream liberal narrative where um, the racism against Asians aren't typically like explicit. And so it's uh, almost hard for people to see that. Um, but a lot of it, you know, as you know, it's like these little micro cuts in your psyche that you just kind of learn to process over time. Um, and I've, I've talked to her a lot about it and it's, uh, it's been, yeah, it's been lightning for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I know it's that's a very divisive subject in the Asian American uh, conversation. If you ever go on Reddit, it gets super toxic about uh, Asian women with white males and then Asian mm. men seeking validation from white women. Mm. There, it's, it's, a, it's a very divisive subject. That's... I'm gonna to have to shelve it. That's a, we're gonna shelve that for another t podcast. Yeah, happy to talk about it later. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, for sure. Um, so let's 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 close it out with um, language corner. Yay! Oh okay. shoot! Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, let me think. What what? So some stuff that we talked about made me think of. Uh, yeah. So working at Apple, 
there's a few words I picked up and uh, yeah. So like, uh, so like, so we also had a lot of Spanish speakers. So copiar copiar seguridad, that means uh, secure backup, which is basically iCloud backup. And uh, that could, that could mean so many things in different contexts. So I like, right, right. Oh, do you speak yeah. some Spanish or I know, I mean, I should at this point, cause I've taken so many Spanish classes, but and you went to Cuba, not. right. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. That didn't really help to be honest. Oh, okay. I'm not, not, yeah. Not since I've been back cause I haven't had practice. So um, copiar the seguridad and then, uh, yun, yun yun, yun means cloud, right? And die means like drive. So iCloud drive. Yun oh, interesting. Yeah. And then, um, I guess another word that uh, from this conversation made me think about like, um, so there's different words. What I like is like, I, I guess what we, for, so like what Dan has, that's what we would call in English, what, like a nightscape or cityscape, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then in Chinese, it's literally like uh, a night scene. Yeah. Jing. Uh, yeah. Jing. Right. Yeah. Mm. Jing means like a night. Yeah. And then Jing means a, scene so yeah mm. yeah 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 so um yeah anyways Good those point. are some 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 words i thought of uh dan or paul or yeah um well in in japanese they usually borrow a lot of uh, american words or english words american words english words <laughs> and i i thought for applications or apps i thought they would just go with app or up but they go a little bit further and they go up Apple, so applications Apple, so they're oh. saying Apple instead of application. They they put Apple. 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 Yeah, because there there are the R and L is a mixed yeah. sound, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I I would have thought they would just like simplify and say up, Apple. No, the Japanese they do their own thing. Yeah, yeah. They do, <laughs> they do their, their own, own thing. thing. They make it their own. I mean, like, yeah. if you want to talk about photography, though, Japanese photographers, I, I'm a huge fan of Japanese street photography. Like, they, oh, they yeah. have very, very cool, like, you know, uh, Araki, I, I like his aesthetic. My, my friend is trying to get me into his stuff, but I don't know, yeah. Yeah, no, the Japanese have, have a really vibrant history with uh, photography. Yeah. Really experimental, really out there, especially for its time. Yeah, yeah big fan of the work. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have much of a Chinese saying, or, or, or I can think of on top of my head. But it's um, there was one that was I don't know how to say it in Japanese. Um, and it's a simple one, but it's a uh, fall down seven times, get up eight. Um, mm. And I've really, I've, I've always like, yeah, always like that one. It seems very um, applicable to the Asian American experience. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do hope from these recent attacks that we've come back stronger, you know? Uh, we will. Asian, yeah, I think we we'll will. We'll have to. We'll have to. Yeah. There's no choice. And, it's not a choice. We have yeah. to. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear the White House finally made like a statement or something, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I'm all opinions about that, but maybe it's a lot too much to impact. <laughs> the remaining time that we have. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, about cops and, and the state in general. but Oh, police um, state, yeah. 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 All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and where, where, uh, any last shout out? Like, where can we find you? What's, what's the best place people can connect with your work? Uh, right now, it's Instagram. Our website is still in development, but my Instagram handle is Desert Futures, one word. Um, and my photography is also on Instagram, Paul underline um, Hoy. Um, find me on those two handles. 
Great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And Desert Futures, I'm assuming it's because obviously Desert and then the futuristic look, or is it that longer conversation we can talk about next time? Uh, maybe we can talk about the next time, but it's, <laughs> it's semi biographical. But uh, oh, okay. Well, till till yeah. next time. Thank you so much, Paul. Appreciate Thanks, it. Paul. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Yeah.